But are you ready now, I guess, to talk about tiaras and like superpowers? And everything, and yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. Yo, good greetings. This is my summer layer. I'm your host, Sammy. In my set in tights, fighting for your rights, Yunnan. It's Wonder Woman Day, actually every day, at the Cartoon Art Museum, who are currently hosting The Legend of Wonder Woman. This exhibition celebrates 80 years of the superb superhero, with a range of artwork and insights, and even focuses on her villains. If you're lucky, only if you're lucky, you might be able to see her invisible plane. While in October 2021, Wonder Woman will celebrate her 80-year-old debut in All-Star Comics in 1941, this isn't the only anniversary we're celebrating. Andrew Ferrargo is an avid writer of pop culture slash books about comic characters, while his day job is the curator of the Cartoon Art Museum in San Francisco. He'll be celebrating his 20th anniversary, having curated in a range of variety of exhibitions in the past. A Spider-Man 40th anniversary exhibition, an American Splendor Showcase, Raw Fury, The Art of Mike Zek, and the 80th Anniversary of The Dark Knight. Like Batman, Andrew operates in the shadows. And like Wonder Woman, Andrew relies on his wits and talents to make this world a better place. As you're about to hear, the legend of Wonder Woman is drawing, get it? Drawing generations of fans, a preview of what to expect at the exhibition, and so much more, including why Andrew believes Disco Stew, yeah, Disco Stew, should be in an old folks' home. But, oh man, oh man, oh man, oh man. We're going to start with this whole conversation off by talking about the jaw-dropping G.I. Joe two-parter, Worlds Without End, from November 4 and 5 in 1985. A handful of Joes wake up in an alternative reality where Cobra has won. As a kid, it was mind-blowing and wildly unsettling. I'm still processing it. It later formed a massive cornerstone of my imagination. So yeah, let's get into all of this. Before we get into uh, Wonder Woman, I want to ask you about a recent tweet that you had. You tweeted out uh, the G.I. Joe two-parter. Remember this tweet? The G.I. Joe two-parter. Worlds Without End. Uh, This is your tweet. A small team of Joes visits an alternative reality, and three of them actually end up staying behind at story's end. Wild stuff. That Those two episodes, it's not even just like they visit an alternative reality. It's a reality where Cobra won. Those two episodes are mind-blowing. Yeah, uh, that was a two-parter by Martin Pascoe, and um, it's, it, you know, G.I. Joe went all out with those two-part episodes. Mm-hmm. They did sci-fi horror they did really weird interesting character development on those episodes and worlds without end was amazing because that um it really raised the stakes compared to a typical gi joe episode where you had you know beginning middle and everything was back to status quo by the end of the episode and this this was one this is one of the first shows i remember that really shook things up by the end of the story. 
Yeah, but also not just shook things up for the G.I. Joes, but also for me emotionally, like, because you're watching it and, like, what's happening? Like, it G.I. Joe was um, slightly goofy. Like, it was still, like, war and they were still shooting and there was in the fight with Cobra and all that. But it, it bordered a little bit more on goofy. And then much in the same way that Transformers, the movie, kind of shook everyone <laughs> when Optimus died. You're like... Because you're like 10 or 12 years old and like, what's happening? That's, a, that's a spoiler. Oh, yeah. Spoiler. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I actually, I got to write about, you know, I've, I've got a great job. I got to write about G.I. Joe and Transformers for, a, for an 80s animation book that I wrote uh, called Totally Awesome. And I actually got to interview a lot of the people who worked on the cartoons. And it was, it was great getting all those behind the scenes stories and basic basically when they were writing transformers the movie they said we're not selling these toys anymore can we can we do whatever we want with these characters and they they got permission and they ran with it they just said we're gonna (laughs) we're gonna show kids (laughs) their childhood getting getting violently murdered on screen in front of them yeah uh all for the all for the cost of a you know dollar two dollar matinee movie ticket in 1986 <laughs> that it was like it was a bar mitzvah because we all walked in there as children we left as men like oh yeah <laughs> right? it was like you saw something like it's like the guys that came back from like vietnam or something you know what i mean like you don't really talk about it because you just saw some things and you don't know how to put it into like perspective of that age so you're like it's just it's it's in the soul uh but i do since you brought it up i do want to talk about your cool uh job so introduce yourself, uh, what it is that you do, and your favorite uh, newspaper comic strip. So introduce yourself, what you do, and your favorite newspaper comic strip. It could be like Farside, Garfield, whatever it may be. Sure, yeah. Uh, I'm Andrew Farrago. Uh, my day job is I'm the curator of the Cartoon Art Museum in San Francisco. And sideline, I have written several books on comics and cartoons and pop culture history frequently for uh, a publisher called Insight Editions. And yeah, so I I write comics. I I self-publish a little bit, a little bit of everything. And it all, for me, it all started with the Peanuts comic strip. Uh, That was my favorite. Uh, As a kid in the newspaper, you know, I, I read a lot of others. I was fortunate to grow up in that that golden age of the '80s when we had Calvin and Hobbes and mm. the Far Side of Bloom County, uh, just just blowing our minds in the newspaper every day. Peanuts is the one that stuck with me the most, but um, you know, I, I've got a I could I could I could fill this whole conversation with all my favorite <laughs> newspaper comics. I knew it was gonna be a dangerous question. I don't know if you could narrow yeah. it down to one, but I thought it would be a good way to kind of give us some flavor. Uh, of where yeah. you're coming from and in terms of peanuts like is there a particular character or characters uh within the strip that you really enjoy yeah uh you know i identified with charlie brown from the beginning so any um you know any any kid that ever felt sad or or put upon or um you know who who was was concerned that the world was not as fair as it could be mm-hmm. you know, latched onto charlie brown and our first our first pet was actually a beagle so that mm. was really appropriate 
Um, you know, peanuts is another, it's another subject I, I've been fortunate enough to write about. I got to write a complete character guide for peanuts, you know, which, which came out about four years ago. And I've been fortunate to get to know and work with Jeannie Schultz, Charles Schultz's widow and, um, work with, uh, her and the, and the fine staff at the Charles Schultz Museum over in Santa Rosa. So yeah, I've been, yeah, very, very fortunate that uh, I've gotten to work with these characters that are, that are so near and dear to me. And one of the characters you're currently working with is an exhibition uh, called The Legend of Wonder Woman, which celebrates 80 years of the uh, superhero can you share a couple of highlights of what to expect uh, when people go to the Cartoon Art Museum in San Francisco? What can they expect or what can they see when they go see The Legend of Wonder Woman? Sure. Uh, yeah. An, an interesting thing about that is we were not necessarily thinking about the 80th anniversary when we first started planning this exhibition. But um, obviously everything's been in upheaval for the past year and a half. Um, we actually had to be closed because of California and San Francisco regulations, we had to be closed to the public for most of a year. Mm -hmm. And we'd, we'd originally aimed for the release date of Wonder Woman 1984 for our exhibition, but that got pushed back several times. And it just it, it ended up being kind of a happy coincidence that it was her 80th anniversary when we finally got this rolling. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm very lucky that we had access to some incredible art collections and artists, including, including several local creators, including Trina Robbins, who she's, she's terrific. She, she actually drew a four issue Wonder Woman miniseries uh, in the 1980s. We have uh, recent artists like Liam Sharp. We have Mick Gray, who was a, who's, inking uh, Carrie Nord's Wonder Woman mm -hmm. series pretty recently. Uh, so I had a lot of wonderful resources right here uh, in my own backyard, which was great. And um, yeah, we, we uh, tapped Andy, Ma Andy Mangles, who is the world's foremost Wonder Woman collector and historian, and got to uh, tap his collection and his expertise uh, so yeah, I got I got to work with some incredible people, and we have we have work going all the way back to uh, the 1940s. We have the original Wonder Woman artist H.G. Peter, and we have things from the Linda Carter era. We have some Super mm -hmm. Friends on display, mm -hmm. and we go all the way to 2021 with the the fantastic graphic novel Nubia. Mm -hmm. uh, artist artist Robin Smith came through in a big way and and gave us some gave us access to her brand new artwork for Nubia. So it's, it's, yeah, it's really, uh, um, it's really a great exhibition. And I've, I've loved seeing families, um, you know, especially kids, especially uh, it's, it's fun seeing the generations connect. I see grandmothers and their granddaughters coming in and being equally excited to see Wonder Woman artwork. Is that different than like that whole like generation and the way that like grandmothers are connecting with the kids and stuff? Is that different than like past like retrospectives? Like you've done stuff with like Batman, for example, right? Who also is 80 years old and has a large fan base. Uh, Superman as well. 
like it, it, is it kind of a different crowd uh just like in terms of generations because wonder woman has always been kind of a, a cultural icon not that superman batman hasn't but she's kind of had a little bit more cultural cachet than some of those other guys you know it's in, it's interesting we've done um you know we've done up to the minute brand new exhibitions like uh, i remember when the uh when Leica released Coraline uh we got to do an exhibition with them and we had artwork and puppets from that and that exhibition energized everybody even though they hadn't seen the Coraline movie mm-hmm. yet they were really excited about it uh we had a uh such a wonderful response to that and a few years back we had a Ninja Turtles exhibition and that's obviously a newer property than Wonder Woman but um you know, that still had the generational aspect that still had people my age and a little bit older who were starting to become parents, bringing their kids in and sharing that with them. Uh, and that, you know, that's, that's something, that's something that's always been part of the experience when you visit, when you visit the museum, you get to see, uh, you do get to see some of these characters that have been around for 50 or 75 or, or hundred years and you get to see those connections, but you also get to make new connections with through current artists. And you know, it's 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 always it's always great because just a, a visit there makes families connect with each other and talk about these these shared experiences. What is it you think that runs like as a commonality through these characters? Like I mentioned already, Batman is eighty. Like Wonder Woman's eighty. Uh, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, as you mentioned, they're, they've started in the mid-80s, but they're getting up there, uh, closing on almost 40 years. Uh, Charlie Brown and Peanuts, that's been around forever as well. Like, when you look at these characters, is there some sort of commonality of why they last decade after decade and, like you said, connect with people and have all these shared experiences? Yeah, I think uh, I think for a character to really endure, you have to, on some level, you have to just, you have to, see yourself in them you have to make that connection and sometimes it sometimes with a character like charlie brown it's it's that feeling of yes i have these exact feelings i've gone through this nobody will let me kick the football right this is exactly my experience uh and then you may have characters who are more um successful (laughs) like bugs bunny or Superman and you may see uh, and Wonder Woman too you may see them as aspirational characters like you 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 love seeing them triumph over the bad guys you love seeing them succeed and you know that's that's inspiring we connect and we relate to that too uh, and that's uh, that's that's the that's the wonderful thing about storytelling is it connects us no matter where you grew up how old you are we can all we can all enjoy a good story. Yeah, and for like characters like Superman, Batman, and now Wonder Woman, obviously, like part of that storytelling it unfolds a lot in comic books, which has a lot of continuity. So I'm curious, like you know, you've written about Batman as well. Your book was Batman: The Definitive History of the Dark Knight in Comics, Film, and Beyond. So I'm curious about continuity. Like, has like putting together these type of exhibitions like this Wonder Woman or like the Batman exhibition, has it kind of given you any pause or does it make you reflect on the value of continuity? Uh, it's Yeah, that's, that's an interesting question. Um, 
you know, I think, I think telling stories that, again, that are going to connect with people, I think that is more and more, that's the most important thing. I, I'm, I'm, I always appreciate, um, I always appreciate when these, when newer storytellers understand the core concept of a character and don't, um, you know, and, and, you know, they may, they may turn it on its ear. They may find uh, a radical new approach to it that Mm -hmm. people hadn't considered before, but um, you know, these, these characters are very flexible, I would say. And uh, you know, they're adaptable, you know, Ninja Turtles is about to undergo another transformation, but as long as you keep them, teenagers as long as they are eating pizza eating pizza in new york city you know they're they're brothers who are looking out for each other uh and they're ready to protect people who need help you know that you need to you need to keep that uh batman you need to have uh you need to have someone whose life was you know impacted by tragedy and that person wants to make sure that nobody else has to suffer that same kind of trauma. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there are things like that. Superman has to be this aspirate. Superman has to be an aspirational character that, that represents the best in us. As long as, as long as storytellers understand this, you know, I don't think it matters, especially, you know, what happened in issue number 73, (laughs) uh, nine years ago on page 19. Like, I don't know that that is, uh, the type of continuity we need to worry about, but I do want, you know, I do want my Superman to be, you know, a a genuinely good person trying to do what's best for everyone. And I want Ninja Turtles to be, you know, I, I want them to be brothers who were bonded and and having you know having adventures wanting to wanting to protect people what you're talking about too like wonder woman is a good example where like she's had kind of murkier origins compared to like say batman and superman right sometimes she's made out of clay sometimes they've retconned that um sometimes she's the daughter of zeus like it's not a quite the same (laughs) superman thing right of like put him in the rocket send him to smallville and off he goes it's got a murkier, uh, I guess, convoluted way of looking at it. I know who everyone knows who she is, but how she got there uh, is a strange path. Yeah, I think she may be she may be even more open to reinterpretation because of that. And I think um, you know it is it is it is probably a little harder to get a handle on her. But I also think that gives storytellers a lot of creative freedom. And again, again, the core the core of wonder woman is that you know she's she's here to help if if they stick with that mm-hmm. uh if she's if she is inspiring people and encouraging hope and love and and kindness you know that's that's at her core and i i think uh the most successful wonder woman stories have have known that what about the unsuccessful or the unpopular wonder woman stories so like with an exhibition like this, The Legend of Wonder Woman, like how do you balance the criticism of certain eras, like the mod era, uh, where she didn't really have any superpowers. She was wearing like kind of a karate 
judo <laughs> outfit for a while. Um, the Taco Wiz uh, era was another one that yeah. a lot of fans despised. Uh, she was working at, I think it was a, was it a Boston taco joint? Something like that. She was working basically yeah. as a waitress. <laughs> so how do you balance, I guess, quote-unquote unpopular or despised or whatever word you want to use with the fans and with the people versus like the popular stuff with like George Perez, right? Everyone kind of loves that run. Mm-hmm. So how do you balance it when you put an exhibition like that together? You know, I, I think, and uh, I think in a lot of ways, the, these characters are, I think they're indestructible. And I think, uh, you know, they can survive these little bumps in the road. Sometimes these changes actually help us appreciate characters that we may have taken for granted. The, uh, the Wonder Woman, the mod direction that she went in the '60s, you know, it was it was at a time when, you know, Marvel had come along. So so kids were looking at DC comics and thinking these are these are a little bit old fashioned. Uh, these these are, um, you know, these are really the same exact type of comics that my parents were reading, mm-hmm. and sometimes you do have to shake things up. You take some chances, things might work, they might not. And, you know, we might not, we might not have Wonder Woman right now if DC hadn't taken that chance back then. If, um, you know, and it happened, it happened with Batman as well, where his, his, his comic was a little bit underappreciated for a time and was in danger of, cancellation um you know right up until the time that the tv show the adam west show yeah it's more it's more complicated than that if you read my book mm-hmm. <laughs> you'll get that whole story but um you know these these characters who've been around who've been around month in month out for such a long time um you know you do need you need fresh takes you need fresh voices every once in a while and some of them will be wildly successful. Some of them will be noble experiments and, mm-hmm. or noble failures. Um, but uh, you know, you can you can take chances, and uh, you know that core original character will always be there. You will always go back to Superman and his classic outfit, being Clark Kent, a, a reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper. You know that will always come back to those, those core concept. We and s- yeah, yeah. It, I, I was gonna it, say it, we see this with like the way people talk about the Simpsons, where they're like season ten was the best season, or this season, or like it hasn't been funny in like several decades, in like in five years or seven years or whatever it is. But I'm like, Simpsons is thirty three seasons. It's not. It's not something we've ever seen before. You can't assimilate it in a, in a way like it's the same thing. Like Wonder Woman's been around for eighty years. There's bound to be turkeys. You know what I mean? Like you yeah. don't last this long uh, without putting out some sort of crap, regardless of whether I feel it's crap or not. Like you're you're bound to put out some cheese. You know what I mean? And Simpsons has been around for 30, 33 seasons. They're bound to put out cheese. But if the quality, if the core of you, like you were saying, the core of the character and the adventures of the stories, if the majority of it or the bulk of it is really solid and still captivating audiences and connecting with people, it'll continue to thrive but you do have to get through those periods of cheese. Yeah. And the Simpsons, um, like you said, the Simpsons is unprecedented, unprecedented. It's been running. If, you know, if the Flintstones have been on this long, 
Uh, I mean, they, they went, they arguably went off the rails by their final season and they only lasted about six years. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sure I had that number wrong, but, but yeah, by their, by their final seasons, they were kind of, we're having aliens, we're having time travel, we're doing <laughs> wacky sci-fi stuff. <laughs> um, you know, the Simpsons overall stayed pretty true to the concept of like, it's, it's a family and all their, all their adventures, all their exploits spring from their family relationships and um you know you can't you can't make sense of their continuity because there really isn't one yeah i've i've gone from i was just about i was just a little bit older than bart simpson when those first shorts aired on the tracy tracy ullman show mm-hmm. and now i am uh i'm older than homer simpson <laughs> and you know, I actually, I actually realized when I was looking at the continuity and, and, you know, what, what makes sense as far as when these characters would have been born and, and um, how it all fits into a timeline. Disco Stew should actually be, you know, he should be about ready for the Springfield retirement castle. <laughs> yeah. Right now, if you want to have a character whose, whose whole thing is, he was a little too old for disco and hung on to it way longer than he should have. Mm-hmm. That guy is in that guy's retirement age now and he should <laughs> um, hang up the platform shoes. Yeah. And he's, he's getting closer to, you know, grandpa Simpson. Mm-hmm. Um, if he's a world war two veteran, then he is getting up to 90 or hundred. If you're, if you're yeah. just making him old enough to be Homer's dad, then again, he, he and disco stew should be about the same age and they should be, they should be sitting in a lounge at the retirement home yeah. <laughs> trading, uh, trading stories. Yeah. I've noticed like, this is a tangent. We'll return back to one one, but I've noticed like the last couple of seasons with principal Skinner, they haven't done a lot of Vietnam flashbacks or reference Vietnam or whatever. That used to be like one of his core characteristics. Um, and they've, they've obviously moved on because again, as new generations of kids come in, they think Vietnam's just a nice place to visit now. It's not a, it's like a tourist destination. They have no concept of it as we did like in the eighties coming after that war. Yeah. It's, and it's, it's the thing that happens when, uh, when these characters, you know, when they're around for decades and, um, we're supposed to, and part of the part of the concept is these are the same characters today that they were 20, 50, 80 years ago. You know, you've got to, you've got to do, you've got to, you've got to fudge things a little bit. You've got to, you've got to fine tune it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm thinking of the Fantastic Four, where uh, Reed Richards and Ben Grimm were very explicitly World War II vets. No, that's right. Yeah, when that comic started. And that's just because so many men of their generation were. It made sense that that would be part of their background. Yeah, Cur- Kirby Kirby fought in the war, didn't he? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And over time, it became like, okay, well, it's less important that they had military service because it's less important to their background because now they would have been, they would have come vage that much later uh so they downplayed it to just the war and then they just they just simply stopped addressing it mm-hmm. 
I think one of the Simpsons producers may have actually said recently that you have to just consider each episode being its own separate little pocket universe. Otherwise, otherwise it doesn't make sense. You have, you have characters who have a history together that may or may not relate to the episode you're watching. You have characters who have very explicitly, you know, 70s origin stories like Disco Stew <laughs> that, uh, um, you know, as that gets farther and farther into the past, you really have to adjust that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's, it's fun. It's fun. And it keeps, it gives fans something to do. <laughs> Whereas like the sea captain is timeless because the sea never goes away. Right. Right. But, um, you know, you look at Krusty the Clown and you think how many, um, we don't, we don't really have the local after school hosts mm-hmm. who are, who are there for kids every day. Cause you don't, you don't come home. You don't turn on that. You don't have everybody in your neighborhood turn on that exact channel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it, you know, it's, it's fun. It gives us, it gives us all, uh, gives us all things to talk about. <laughs> so I, I want to stay with that thread for a second, because we can tie this back to wonder woman and, I'm curious about this concept, right? Because you only get one chance to make a good first impression, right? So do the way that these characters like Wonder Woman come into somebody's life change the perception of the character? Like we as like children of the 80s, right? We had limited on-ramps to characters. Wonder Woman, there was the Linda Carter TV show, obviously, which was a big hit, especially for young boys, and some cartoons, and then primarily the comic books. That's really where the core of our time with Wonder Woman was spent. But for like people today, even non-fans, they get exposure because there's several feature films, uh, the Snyder ones, the the Patty Jenkins ones. There's animated movies. There's cartoons. There's the Lego movie. There's Wonder Woman Lego. There's video games. There's books. The comics are almost secondary or like not even really on that list, even if you're just a casual person. So does the the first encounter does that affect love at first sight? You know, I think so. For me, it was it would have absolutely been super friends and you know wonder woman was you know she was such a vital important part of that team she was you know she was in 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 some ways she was she was right up there with superman as far as strength and abilities to to get things done uh so that you know that made a very positive strong first impression and that led to um you know, not long after that, I saw the Linda Carter show in syndication and, you know, she was terrific. That was, that was, she was to Wonder Woman what Christopher Reeve was to Superman. It was just the, the a good living, analogy, yeah. living embodiment of that character. And it's interesting. Like I, I hear from people who have kind of appointed themselves as gatekeepers all the time uh, as far as you know, characters and comics go. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I think it's it's been forever since you've been able to say, you know, comics were absolutely your first introduction to superheroes, to any of this. Uh, Superman was on the radio, you know, in the 40s. He was in animation in the forties, Batman had movie serials and so did Captain Marvel. And, uh, you know, if you are, 
you know, yeah, unless you're Grandpa Simpson, your first encounter <laughs> with most of these characters was probably animation or toys, you know, not not counting the characters who are exclusively comic book characters. But um, yeah, I don't, I don't really have any time for gatekeepers <laughs> as far as that goes. Um, you know, the modern the modern superhero movies, you know, due to the fact you, you generally have to go to a comic book shop or, you know, thank, thankfully now you can go to your school library and, and get superhero comics and graphic novels, but you're, you're much more likely to be introduced to these characters through the Marvel movies or video games or animation. And that's cool. Like the more, the more uh, that gets out there, you know, I don't, I, I would hate to think somebody would call me a fake fan because I watched super friends before, before I was a DC comics reader or saw Spider-Man on the electric company before I had a, <laughs> you know, uh, an amazing Spider-Man subscription. Um, you know, it's all, it's all good. Like all these, all these pathways, to get people excited about characters and storytelling. Um, that's, that's a good thing. And as you said too, like this exhibition has a number of artists uh, who are obviously very popular uh, in the comic book world. Is there any particular artist that you are a favorite of, or you got some artwork for this exhibition that you were like, Oh wow, this is really cool stuff. You know? Um, yeah. I mean, we've got, we've got a couple of, George Perez covers, and he's he's one of those first favorite artists that um, you know that '80s kids latched onto, and it's I love seeing his stuff. Um, every every time I see something like that, I'm I'm excited by it. But we've got yeah, we've got uh, Alex Toth, we've got Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, we've got. Yeah, so much, so much good stuff. I think uh, for me, the most exciting is actually seeing H.G. Uh, Peter, the original Wonder Woman artist, and just seeing this work that laid the foundation for the character, like his his work that he did in the 1940s, and I get to see that every day that I'm in the office, and just just knowing everything that that followed from that. That's that's um, that's really exciting. It's funny, her look has, she's had the same look. <laughs> For a woman who's always kind of like sometimes associated with fashion and things like that, she's been pretty consistent. Uh, but it was funny, I think it was in the, about a few years ago, there was a, DC kind of gave her leggings. And then there was a whole big debate of whether like to do pants or no pants. But I'm not a fan <laughs> of pants. So I was like, I was glad that she kind of like always kept it like proper and just like went out there with like no pants. So yeah. I'm not, I'm not a fan of pants is such a great quote. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, you know, it's her costume is very, you know, it's adaptable. If you have the, uh, the red, white, and blue, if you have the yellow um, or the gold highlights to it, you can, you can make adjustments and she has had, you know, some, some subtle, some not very subtle adjustments over the years, but um yeah, it's but you know that's true of you know Batman today. Like no matter what costume he has mm -hmm. is recognizable, would be recognizable to a 1930s audience. Same same for Superman. You know that's that's a cool thing. That's that's part of I think keeping the core of the character. Um, 
Superman, I think you can you can change up a lot of things as long as you keep, you know, as long as you keep an S logo on his chest. Oh, well, no, no. DC got in trouble, I think, for the new 52. He didn't have the red trunks, remember? I was I was upset about that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, It looked weird. Uh, I, I have to admit, like, I read a number of the issues. And every time I'd see him in a panel, I'm like, it just feels off. And then it takes you a second to figure out what's wrong. It looked like it looked like he didn't finish getting dressed, is what it. Yeah. Was. <laughs> yeah. And my my think my. <laughs> I'll keep I'll keep it simple. But what I what I've always said about the, um, you know, when they when they got rid of the red trunks is, you know, I felt they were changing things, to appeal to an audience that, where where that was that was not the reason that people weren't buying superman's monthly comics Mm -hmm. there's not a comic book fan or potential fan who exists who was only staying away from that character because of the red trunks correct so so changing it to appeal to them you know that uh, that's just i just didn't get it that was um um you know, I, I I kind of felt that was a misstep. I felt I know I know some creators kind of felt the same way. Mm-hmm. You know, there's nobody there's nobody who said, oh, they got rid of the trunks. Now I'm finally now I'm back. Uh, <laughs> sign, sign me up. <laughs> yeah. Um, two more questions and then we'll wrap up. But what you're also saying too, it's funny because they just announced um, there's a new writer taking over for Batman. But part of the press release and part of the interviews and stuff was that the the return of the yellow around the bat logo on his chest was back. The yellow oval or the yellow circle, whatever it is. And it was like, I didn't mind like that one. The trunks thing bothered me, I'll admit, for Superman. But the yellow, not yellow for Batman, I like it because it's different eras, right? So you can kind of know which era you're in. So I'd, I wasn't bothered by it, but everyone was all excited the, the yellow circle or yellow oval is back. Mm-hmm. you know it's it's um that's that's a cyclical thing it was um but it was part of the character for so long it was part of the character from 1964 uh all the way through you know around the time of the the no man's land storyline in the in 1999 mm-hmm. that they i think just i think just after that i think it was 2000 that they yeah, changed that, and you had you had Frank Miller playing around with that in the in the Dark Knight Returns. You know, it's 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 a fun it's a fun thing. Everybody can debate it, mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, you know, I'm 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 looking forward to it. Um, Josh Williamson, I, I really enjoyed his writing uh, at DC over the years, and mm-hmm. I think he, he's the new writer he, for. I didn't mention his name because the focus was the. <laughs> the oval but yeah josh will joshua williamson he's really, i really i really enjoyed his work on flash so i think yeah. i think he'll be, i think he'll be a good fit that was a long yeah. run too uh pardon the pun but i want to uh, wrap up with wonder woman because um, i'm curious too like these retrospectives do they primarily focus on wonder woman or do they acknowledge the villains as well because it's the bad guys that kind of make her who she is that's how you know she's good and just yeah, uh, you know, you do. If you're a cheetah fan, you will see a lot of cheetah <laughs> in this show. <laughs> uh, you know, and she's she's by far the um, biggest, probably best recurring Wonder Woman villain. So you do see you do see her, but yeah, I, I tried to I tried to mm-hmm. make sure Etta Candy was in there, Steve Trevor, um, 
make sure everybody was going to see yeah some of their favorites when they were checking this one out yeah i asked because out of the three if we just focus on like dc like uh batman superman i guess we could even throw in the flash they all have defined really defined distinct characters batman and the flash especially um but Wonder Woman, even though she has been around for 80 years, it's kind of like a thin rogues gallery. Like, as you mentioned, Cheetah, there's Dr. Psycho for a bit there. Uh, but for the most part, it is kind of a thin rogues gallery. Yeah, it's 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 kind of interesting. And I think it's, you know, it's, it's kind of the nature of the character that they, you know, they wanted to focus on her and Paradise Island, that they wanted to focus on uh, her supporting cast and things and... It's kind of, you know, it's kind of, I guess, I guess it's kind of nice that um, she's not defined so much by that kind of conflict. Hmm. She's defined by what she, what she does and by helping people as opposed to who she fights. Yeah. She's the ambassador. Yeah. So where can people find information about the Cartoon Art Museum in San Francisco? Where can people find out uh, information on the Legend of Wonder Woman and this exhibition, which is running till December 31st, correct? Yes. So that, um, again, again, especially especially now that's that's subject to change. Um, yeah, I should have put asked. Yeah, if you go to uh, cartoonart.org uh, or you can Google Cartoon Art Museum, we're also on facebook and twitter and, and instagram uh and tumblr if you want to if you want to track us on social media and um yeah just uh yeah track us down uh any of those ways just google cartoon art museum you'll find us and yeah i hope hope we'll um see a lot of you there in person over the next few months and when do you guys start the uh john oliver uh, exhibition you guys just picked it up if you want to just mention that briefly yeah that's a, that's a fun thing uh last week tonight john oliver's show has a gallery of unusual artwork <laughs> that um they wanted to support uh, art museums throughout the country especially uh because a lot of us had to be closed for a year or more uh because of covid restrictions uh, so they're giving us a generous grant as well as the, uh, the San Francisco Marin food bank is also receiving, uh, financial support from them. Mm-hmm. And from January 4th to 25th, we'll be displaying this artwork. And, um, yeah, it's, 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 it's a fun thing. i I was, I was thrilled when they, uh, picked us out of apparently about a thousand applicants, but they, uh, they reached out. We uh, we worked out the details, and uh, this this January, uh, any any HBO fans, John Oliver fans, I hope will uh, will check us out at the uh, Cartoon Art Museum in San Francisco. So thank you, Andrew, for like hanging out. Uh, we covered quite a bit. We covered Disco Stew should be in an old folks' home. <laughs> I, I'll stand by that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that uh, World Without End was quite the uh, jaw-dropping two-parter for G.I. Joe. And that uh, you guys have an exhibition called The Legend of Wonder Woman, which celebrates her 80 years uh, of uh, comic book and adventures. So that's it. We covered quite a bit, didn't we? We did. We did. <laughs> Always room for more. Thanks so much. Yeah. So thank you, Andrew.
That was Andrew Ferrago, the curator of the Cartoon Art Museum in San Francisco. If you can go, go. That joint is fantastic. It's worth the trip. Actually, San Francisco is re- generally a really nice place. There's a few things worth checking out. Uh, but yeah, if you definitely head out to California, do put that on the list. And you know what? You might even learn something. So there you go. Cue the star from the more you know. Speaking of knowing, I am Sammy Yunan, and this has been my Summer Layer. For the social media question, tell me, what are some of your favorite Wonder Woman comics? I can be reached at my Summer Layer for all three, IG, Twitter, and Facebook. What are your favorite Wonder Woman comics? I have to say I really dug the recent Brian Azzarello run. Um, him and uh, was it Cliff Chang and a whole bunch of them, they, uh, they knocked that one out of the park. You're wonderful for listening to me in the Netflix world. Wonder Woman, yo.